This week, Sicario 2 sees Benicio del Toro front and centre this time. Put trust in me. Is how you're going to survive. Good luck. Luck doesn't live on this side of the border. Those Jurassic World scientists have come up with something even worse than last time. What is that thing? They made it. This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. And in a week of sequels, The Incredibles may be the most welcome. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I use bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Assessing the 2018 blockbusters, that attack of the killer franchises that generally coincides with the northern summer, it's safe to say that this season has been one of mixed fortunes. The most mixed has been the reception to the would-be Star Wars spin-off Solo, despite, you'd think, respectable numbers, over $300 million worldwide. But as usual with a Star Wars film, Solo suffered from ridiculously high expectations, let down by the fact that it just wasn't the first Star Wars. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? But in fact, most sequels suffer from comparison with the hit that inspired it. In the past, a series simply pitted the hero or heroine against a new foe. Now, franchises have to expand and advance the stories. 007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. I only have one question. Why not stay dead? There's no shame in saying you've lost a step. James Bond could essentially tell the same story over and over again, merely changing the villains and the Bond girls. Now, in the wake of the ambitions of franchises like Star Wars and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, every new episode has to be War and Peace. War and Peace with popcorn. So, what exactly is a blockbuster these days? How would you define terrorism? current definition is any individual or group that uses violence to achieve a political goal. Of this year's would-be busters of blocks, the most successful are the usually successful, like Marvel Comics' latest Avengers, which managed to juggle a huge cast with an eye on the inevitable conclusion sometime next year. Two jobs done, bonuses all round. The end is near. still exist. Marvel boss Kevin Feige's only rivals when it comes to can't-fail spectaculars are the wizards of Pixar. The animation giants seem incapable of making a bad movie. Well, this year they produced two successful ones, one for each holiday. Following the Christmas Oscar winner Coco comes the hit sequel to 2004's The Incredibles. What exactly is Mom's new job? She's an advocate for superheroes. But I thought superheroes were still illegal. Hey, hey, the bus is here! 
more problematic are sequels driven by commercial concerns. The hit reboot of the Jurassic Park series, 2015's Jurassic World, clearly had something going for it. But was it the amped-up menace of the Frankenstein dinosaur or the goofy charm of Leeds Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard? So, uh, what are you dating like an accountant now? Or? Owen. Ventriloquist? Stop it. You love a dummy. This is not why we're here. You can blame me. The sequel, Fallen Kingdom, is the proof of that particular pudding. Trickiest of all potential franchises is a sequel to what was already a really good movie. The original Sicario upended the usual crime story with three genuinely complex characters in the hands of one of the best of today's directors, Denis Villeneuve. So what happens next? And should it? You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. You're going to help us start a war. With who? Everyone. The first Sicario was set on the bleeding edge, as they say, of the war on drugs, the border between Mexico and the United States. The lead character was an angry but naive policewoman, played by Emily Blunt, trying to keep her moral compass in a conflict with no morality. You saw things you shouldn't have seen. Rocks from the composition. Providing a measure of order that we could control. I'm going to tell everyone what you did. That would be a major mistake. Emily Blunt has been sacrificed for the sequel, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. It initially seems that the new lead is her cynical boss, Matt, played by Josh Brolin, who seems to be everywhere this year. Matt has been given carte blanche by the government. Now it's been discovered Mexico's drug cartels are moving into the terrorist smuggling business. There's proof the cartel helped the terrorists get to the border. President's adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. Matt calls in an old colleague, Alejandro, the tortured Sicario or hitman, still hunting down the members of the cartel that murdered his family. Alejandro is the extraordinary Benicio del Toro, the real lead character of Sicario 2. Turning you loose. I'll lose. No rules this time. It comes as a surprise to Alejandro and to us that he'd been playing by any rules before. So what does it mean when he's turned loose? In this case, it means starting a war between the cartels by kidnapping the daughter of one of the crime kingpins. How are we looking? Got eyes on the prize? Roger. Price is in the tail vehicle. The kidnap scene where the so-called good mercenaries, led by Matt and Alejandro, pull off the snatch under the nose of the corrupt Mexican police in the pay of the cartels is as graphic and visceral as anything in the first Sicario. (laughs) 
The story is initially driven by Matt's even more hard-boiled boss, the great Catherine Keener, seen far too little in the film, who tells him the president is right behind his crew, playing as dirty as he needs to. She doesn't quite say he's making America great again, but it is implied. However, like all sweeping solutions to intractable problems, it's not as easy as it looks. Your objective is to start a war between the Mexican cartels. Not with the Mexican government. And meanwhile, on the other side of the border, Alejandro's holed up with the teenaged girl he kidnapped. Despite himself, he starts seeing parallels between her plight and what happened to his own family. Who are the bad guys in this situation? I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. Not they. My father. In the last film, we saw the crime bosses at home with their families, justifying their appalling crimes with that well-worn defence. It's just business. It's not personal. But now Alejandro and Matt find themselves on different sides of a dirty war, being told to tidy up the loose ends. This girl was witness to the mission, correct? Yes, sir. We can't risk her falling into the wrong hands. Clean the scene. They want me to cut ties. you got to get rid of her. I can't do that. Sicario 2 has many of the strengths of its classic predecessor, but there's something missing, something distinctively brutal and unforgiving. Once Alejandro was an empty husk, a fatally wounded wild animal, but now he's softening into, well, into just another Hollywood anti-hero. Don't put me in that situation. You gotta do what you gotta do. I'm going to need a strike team, two Blackhawks, drones with attack capability. Where's the coup? Mexico. It's a fine distinction, but a telling one. This Sicario, subtitled Day of the Soldado, whatever that is, is certainly action-packed with good actors and an interesting twist at the end. But it can't quite bring itself to take it to the unpalatable limit like the original film did. And now you hunt them. Adios. This is a pretty good thriller where the original was a great one, just as Italian director Stefano Solima is a capable technician, replacing ruthless artist Denis Villeneuve. But that said, Sicario Day of the Soldado is worth seeing for one stellar performance, if nothing else. Benicio del Toro single-handedly justifies another sequel, I think. But next time, turn him loose. You have no reason to trust me. But trusting me is how you're going to survive. Good luck. Luck doesn't live on this side of the border. The rise of likeable American star Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy marked the revival of the old-fashioned movie hero. Boyish, charming, not too bright, but brave as a lion, Pratt followed in the footsteps of Harrison Ford, Bruce Willis, right back to Errol Flynn, I suppose. Hey, Blue, you know me. Come with me. 
You know you can't stay here. Back your men up right now. Pratt's character, Owen the Dinosaur Wrangler, was definitely the ace in the hole that pushed the belated Jurassic Park sequel Jurassic World into the movie Big League, even more so than the gigantic mega and manufactured dinosaurs. But just try telling the Hollywood money men that. You may remember that the monster in the first Jurassic World was a dino horror cooked up in the lab by pesky scientists to up the wow factor at the dinosaur theme park. What they produced made the old-fashioned T-Rex look like a pussycat. Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. It all turned to dino custard, needless to say, but you can't keep a good mad scientist down, as you'll see shortly. But first, there's trouble at the abandoned dinosaur island. It seems there's an active volcano about to blow, and Claire, the one-time manager of Jurassic World, is called in for a rescue mission. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. You'll never capture her. We thought you might know someone who could help. Claire, Bryce Dallas Howard, you may remember, was the straight-laced suit, won over by Owen's boyish charm. Since then, she's become a conservationist, that was quick, and has broken up with Owen, that was even quicker. But even she's prepared to admit that what's needed right now is a hero. A rescue op. Save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Blue is alive. You raised her. Since it says hero for hire on Owen's business card, he's roped into the job. Save those dinosaurs, a task that can only be appreciated by anyone who's tried to save one dinosaur, let alone a dozen or so. But just as they start carrying dinosaurs to rescue boats, they discover all is not what it seems. It was all a lie! The man who proved raptors can follow orders. You never thought how many millions a trained predator might be worth? They're a salvo. Not blue. They need it for something else. I know what you're thinking. Pesky scientists, right? That's correct. Pesky scientists working for who? Anyone? That's right. Working for unbelievably greedy business people for their own nefarious ends. And when the familiar figure of Dr. Wu turns up, you know, the end result will be an even more horrific dinosaur. What is that thing? They made it. This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. I say we shut this whole thing down. I kept being reminded of the best line in the first Jurassic World when amped-up super beasts were being dreamed up. They're dinosaurs, said Chris Pratt's character. Wow enough. Something's coming. It's the T-Rex. It's the T-Rex. It's not a T-Rex. You could say the same here, where the appeal of these films remain actual prehistoric dinosaurs, not some kind of video game hybrid. And it's also questionable whether the dinosaur movie, old dark haunted house movie hybrid works to anyone's advantage. Jurassic World, 
the island. You're all right. Easy, girl. All of that is in the past. Am I dead? Not yet, kid. There's a lot of fleeing dinosaurs up and down shadowy staircases before Jurassic World 2 reaches any sort of conclusion. The film's subtitle, Fallen Kingdom, refers to both the volcano-scuttled island, but also what's about to happen in our world unless a new sequel can save it. Life cannot be contained. Life breaks free. Life... Finds a way. That's original Jurassic Park star Jeff Goldblum, crazy as ever, and brought back to give an air of continuity to the franchise. It will be back, this film says, bigger than ever. Which is a mistake, I think. They're dinosaurs. Big enough, surely. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful. They're going to be here after. When Pixar's The Incredibles came out back in 2004, superheroes weren't nearly as thick on the ground as they are now. The appeal was seeing a family of superheroes trying to make it in a hostile world. Unlike most superhero movies, the point of The Incredibles, and its belated sequel, Incredibles 2, is the family dynamic rather than the superpowers and supervillains. Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? Why? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. Bob has super strength. His wife, Helen, is the highly flexible Elastigirl. Teenage daughter, Violet, vanishes at will. Her brother, Dash, is the fastest thing on two legs. While baby, Jack-Jack, well, let's just say he's work in progress. Behold the Underminer! Watch after Jack-Jack. I thought we were going to go... You heard your mother trampolining. Incredibles 2 picks up immediately after the first film. You can do that with animation. And the arrival of the dreaded Underminer. There's a chase. There's a lot of damage. And once again, the powers that be close the supers down for good. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I bad guys. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. Or is it for good? An eccentric billionaire, Winston Dever, seems keen to bring them back. When Bob Odenkirk and his glamorous sister Evelyn, it's a good week for Catherine Keener fans, are sure the problem is simply perception. So they'll give the Supers a soft reintroduction, starting with Elastigirl. Help me bring Supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Clearly this is going to cause some rearrangement of the home, with the lunkish Mr Incredible being handed solo parent duties for the first time. Can he cope, even in the luxurious new home that goes with the new job? Oh, I like Mom's new job! Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. 
Predictably, Dad finds himself snowed under with unfamiliar tasks. Violet's first date is a disaster and she blames everyone. Dash has his own problems with maths. And then there's the added problem of Jack-Jack, who started to explore his new powers. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Is she having adolescence? And Jack-Jack... He's in excellent health. In other words, like the first Incredibles, this film is a metaphor for family life and a thoroughly entertaining one too. Mum has to reacquaint herself with the workplace and is torn between loving her new freedom and guilt over the family's plight without her. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, i got to leave it. To fix the law, i got to break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Meanwhile, Dad is in severe need of sleep. He summons his best friend, Frozone, to help, but not even Samuel L. Jackson can deal with the dimension-hopping powers of Baby Incredible. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. I get it, Bob. What the? That is freaky. But I can't keep giving him cookies. In the end, Dad brings in the big guns, or rather the minuscule figure of costumier to the superheroes Edna Mode, the funniest character in the first film, and equally so here. Edna's voiced by writer-director Brad Bird himself, who, unlike most Pixar creatives, seems to prefer to work solo. Done properly, parenting is a heroic act. Done properly. Of course, the Pixar machine is so well-oiled these days, it's impossible for an outsider to tell who does what there. Suffice to say, a Pixar movie is one of the very few guarantees in the movie industry, and Incredibles 2 is no exception. All over Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf are dozing. Your eyelids so heavy. They're drooping. Mm. Closing! I couldn't have done this if you hadn't taken over so well. The visual pleasures of Pixar movies like Incredibles 2 are so dazzling that it's often easy to overlook how grounded they are too. At a time when superhero movies are getting bigger and bigger, but often thinner and thinner at the same time, Incredibles 2 succeeds by keeping it small and domestic. I'll get the hang of it. You will be great. I will be great. And you will too. We will both be great. Bye, sweetie. These days, the working mum and the stay-at-home dad are hardly unusual, and kids are under new pressures, personified by a new supervillain for our times. The screen slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. The names of the villains are Irresistible, The Screenslaver, The Underminer, and my favourite, Reflux. You don't want to know what his powers are. But at the end, it all comes out right. Well, not just right, but satisfyingly so. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it this way. I don't know that way. Why would they change math? Math is math. Math is math. Well, maybe there's a lesson in this. Don't do a sequel until you've thought up a good one. It took Brad Bird 14 years to dream up Chapter 2 of The Incredibles, but it was worth the wait. 
The other alternative, of course, is to make up something new, but who's going to put money into something as harebrained as that? Well, that brings this week's show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.